Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Church by the Glades, it is so great to see you and to be here with you all this morning. Are we feeling all right in the building today? I got to tell you, I am so grateful and honored to be here with you because I'm here at the request of a legend. And and I don't use that word flippantly. Like, do you understand that your pastor, Pastor David Hughes, is a legend in the faith? And I got to tell you, Pastor David, Lisa, really the whole Hughes family, a dear friend whom I love and admire, Pastor Charlie, it is such an honor to be here and stand where your pastors stand so faithfully week in and week out. And I believe that God is going to continue to bless you, that he's got more for you, and I'm excited to play a small part in that here today. And so... I'm excited. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. If you've got the scriptures with you, if you want to flip there, scroll there, whatever that looks like for you. And let me just say this before we read, that we are here this morning and we have gathered under the name of Jesus. And when I say we've gathered under the name of Jesus, what I mean to say is that when Jesus is in this place, he's not here to listen to the message. He is the message. He's not here to be a part of what we're doing. He's the purpose behind everything that we are doing. And I don't expect us to come in here one way and leave the same way when we gather under his name. Does anybody expect to be changed in this place this morning? Y'all ready for the word? Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13, says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. But John tried to stop him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. Jesus answered him, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed him to be baptized. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water, the heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. I want to preach a message this morning titled, Your Mess Matters. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. For every raised hand in this room that acknowledged that they're hurting and for people who maybe uh, didn't raise their hand, Lord, for everybody that's in this place that has ever felt a messy moment in their life that wonders, does that mark and define me for the rest of my life? Is this all that my life is ever going to amount to? Lord, would you speak in this place and give us new freedom that we might walk out of this place and remember this time together and saying, that's where it all changed for me. Lord, we love you. We praise you, we thank you, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the 16th century was kind of the time to be alive if you wanted to be a famous artist at any point in your life because it was during that time that we had people like Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo creating works of art like uh, the Statue of David or the Sistine Chapel or the Mona Lisa and the painting of the Last Supper. But in the shuffle of all of these famous artists, I doubt that any of us have heard of a guy nearly as much who went by the name of Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino, who we're just going to call Raphael for time consumption 
constraint reasons this morning. And so if you haven't heard of Raphael, he was actually unbelievably gifted living at around this same time, but he died very early on in life. And had he not died, then he probably would be just as revered as some of these other famous artists. Uh, In fact, I read an article that had this to say about Raphael. Raphael was the supreme Renaissance painter, more versatile than Michelangelo, more prolific than their older contemporary, Leonardo. That's high praise for somebody that most of us don't know, right? Fast forward with me to the 19th century. In the 19th century, former British Prime Minister George Hamilton Gordon purchased a painting of the Virgin Mary that he thought was an original done by Raphael himself, but after it was purchased, they investigated it and found out that he bought fake J's and that it was actually just a copy of the original. It wasn't real at all. And so as a result, he sold the painting in 1899 for just 25 bucks. Fast forward with me again to the much more recent past in 2016. In 2016, an art historian came across this painting and he was struck by the similarities that it had to a Raphael. And not only was he struck by the similarities, he knew that it was dated to around the time of a Raphael. And so he had it taken down, investigated, and he ended up looking at it with newer advanced methods and they determined that it was not actually a copy of a Raphael, but it was was indeed a Raphael original, and at one point, something that had been sold for 25 bucks can now hang up in your home for the price of $26 million. And I say that to you because there are some people that are in this place this morning, and you look at this canvas that you call life, and you don't like anything that you see. That we've got some people that are in this place, and you feel like this painting, like you've passed through the hands and the opinions of so many people, that you start to wonder, does God want anything to do with me in my life? Like nothing seems to go my way. My life just kind of seems like an irredeemable mess, and I don't know that God actually is going to do what I hoped and prayed he was going to do in my life, like some of you feel like you've literally passed through the hands of people. Like like your dad called you and you thought maybe he just wanted to check in on you, but he just wanted to let you know that you're still wrong in everything that you're doing. Your mom asked to go get lunch with you and so you're like, yeah, I guess I'll go and see if she's changed at all, but she's still upset that you're not on track to become who she never had the courage to become in her own life. What you find is that you've got people that you've found yourself going to your boss five times saying you want to start this business idea and partner with them and they think your idea is trash and you just need to go out and start it yourself. But the reality is for most of us in the room, it's not even that you've passed through the hands or the opinions of so many other people. For many of us, it's that nobody's harder on you than you are on you. And so you find yourself in this place where you're like, nobody's ever said anything meaner to me than I've said to myself. And so I'll tell you this, I just don't think that there's anything that God's going to do with my life because I feel like whether I've passed through the hands and the opinions of other people, I just find myself in this place where I don't know that God can do it because of the things that I've done or experienced in my life. And I'm here to remind somebody this morning that that painting ended up being passed through the hands and the opinions of so many people because nobody was able to recognize the value of what they actually held in their hands. And listen to me, no person who had it or place it had been was able to take away from the fact that it was handcrafted and belonged to a master artist. Listen to me, the messiness of its history didn't determine its value, its maker determined its value. There's no person or place 
that you have found your painting that can take away from the fact that it has been handcrafted and it belongs to a master artist. And there's some people that are in this room this morning and you find yourself in a place where because of some messiness in your life, it's changed the way that you think of and view yourself. And maybe more importantly, the way that you think of and view God, and maybe most importantly, the way you think that God thinks of and views you. And I just believe this to the very core of who I am, that the more sure we are of what our Heavenly Father thinks of us, the more secure we will be as we walk through the messiness of this life, and the less likely, the less likely you're gonna be to try to run away from God as a result of the messiness in your life. Jesus actually finds himself in a place where you're like, this is the baptism, how are we getting this out of the baptism? Well, look at what happens in Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 15. I promise you, I'm not making this up. Jesus gets baptized and it says this. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now John tried to stop him, he said, hey, I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? Jesus said, allow it for now, because this is the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John allowed it. Listen, Jesus approached John on his own, and he says, hey, brother, I need to be baptized. John looks at him, and he says, hold up, God. Are you serious right now? Like, like if anybody's got to be baptized in anybody, you got to be baptized in me. Like, just, just, just God, in case you don't know what's going on here, I'm baptizing repentant sinners. You're like the furthest thing in the world from a sinner. And so if anything's got to go down, then you ought to be baptized in me. And Jesus has an incredible response. He's like, oh man, I know. <laughs> he, he looked right at John. He said, brother, we know you're a sinner. We know I'm not. But what did he say? He said, but it's fitting right now to fulfill all righteousness. What is Jesus saying right there? Jesus is identifying with the messiness of sinners right now so that sinners might be identified by Jesus' righteousness later after he defeated hell, death, and the grave that we see that Jesus is identifying with your mess. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. What's it say? For our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, Jesus said, I'm going to take this sinful mess of your life to the cross where it's going to be crucified so that when I rise to life again, all who believe in me are going to rise to new life in me. Jesus cares about the messiness of your life. He cares so much so that he stepped into it before you ever even called on him. And he said, I'm going to take it on. Every sin, mess, and broken part of your life, I'm going to bring it to the cross. I'm going to take on the wounds that will make a way so that for the rest of your life you could know my life is not identified by the scars I accumulate in this life, my life is identified by his scars that saved my life. That that's what identifies your life. And yet we find ourselves in a place where we're like, that all sounds great, but I may or may not have found myself in a place where it's just still not clicking for me. You know, it's, it's interesting. I was reading this article a little while ago about this Japanese art called kintsugi. Maybe some of you have heard about this. Maybe some of you haven't. You're like, what are you reading in your off time? Don't worry about it. It's just a good illustration for you here today, okay? Kintsugi is this Japanese art, and the idea behind it is that whenever you have broken ceramics or pottery, you don't look at it and go, that's a mess. We should just get rid of it. 
but instead you see the mess and you go, what's about to come out of this is greater than anything that could have happened prior to the mess. And you take this expensive lacquer that's been mixed with gold, silver, or platinum, and you pick up all of the broken pieces and you start sealing it back together with this lacquer and the piece becomes beautiful. I think we have a a picture of it here for us today. And so what ends up happening is that that piece that at one point had been broken actually now after all of the repairs that have been made to it, it is more valuable than what it was prior to being broken. I'm here to tell somebody today, you've been made beautiful by the blood of Jesus. Like, I'm here to tell somebody this morning at Church by the Glades that you find yourself with these broken fragments of a life that you once hoped for, and yet the reality is it's not done yet, that Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven to this earth. He picked up all of your broken mess, and he sealed you back together with the most expensive lacquer there is, which is his very own blood that he poured out for you. I need somebody to understand this morning. You're not made of the messes in life. You're made in them. You're made in them. And it's in the messiness of your life that God does some of his most beautiful work if you let him. If you let him. And so still though, we can find ourselves in this place where you've been around people, maybe even churches at one point or another, where you're like, I think God's down for saving my life, but I don't know that God's down for like enjoying me. Like, I don't know that God could love me or like me. I think he'll save me, but I don't know that we actually have that father-son, that father-daughter relationship. There just feels like there's something broken here. And what I want to show you in Matthew 3 is in verse 16 and 17. The order of events is so important here, y'all. Jesus hadn't done nothing. I mean, there's no recorded like healing or miracles prior to this moment. He hasn't preached a sermon. Like we we haven't seen that Jesus has even been tempted by Satan yet. And what do we see here though in verse 16? It's interesting. It says this, Jesus was baptized. Then he went up immediately from the water and the heavens suddenly opened for him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove coming down on him and a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased did you catch that before Jesus does anything God calls him beloved You want to know what God thinks about you and all of your messiness as you step into this place? If you have believed in the finished work of Jesus Christ and repented of your sin, then you can know that if you have put your faith in him, that those sins you cannot forget, God refuses to remember because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And he's pleased with you. That God is pleased with you in this house. But what's amazing is I know that there are some of us in here and they're like, you don't understand, Luke, how messy my life is. I don't have to. Your mess matters to God. Listen to me. God's character is unshakable and God's character is unconditional love towards his people. What God thinks of you is covenantal. It is not conditional. There's no mess in your life that the Lord's looking at and he's going, sweet mercy. Unless you've, I'm kidding. Like, there's no mess 
that he's looking at in your life. He promised me four hours ago we weren't going to do this again. And yet here we are, no blood for them. Like, he's not doing that. He's not doing that. What God thinks of you is covenantal. It is not conditional. There is no mess in your life that is left to stain so deep that the blood of Jesus could not reach down and clean it up. Now, some people are panicking in here and they're like, so are you just saying we get to just like skip through this life carefree, no obedience, just kind of do whatever we want? That's not what I'm saying at all. When you have tasted the sweetness of the grace and the mercy of Jesus, you want to live a life in accordance with what he says. You want to live a holy life. You want to follow him. And yet, if you're anything like me, you know you're going to stumble. You're going to do your best and you're going to have some issues. And so I'm not saying that we're saying no obedience. We're going to live carefree. What I'm saying is this. The enemy will use the messiness in your life in an attempt to sabotage your faith. He will try to distract you from what the blood of Jesus means over your life. He'll use those failures in your life to try to sabotage your faith. But the problem with that tactic is that God has never worked around messiness in life. He works in the messiness. Jesus did not work around the cross. He hung on it and he said, your will be done. And he willingly went to the cross. He passionately endured the suffering that you and I deserved. And he victoriously stepped out of the tomb over sin and over death. Listen me if you think your mess is too messy if you think that you've done things or experienced things that are too shameful or horrific to come to God I'm going to tell you something right now that might hurt on the front end but it's ultimately going to help you heal you don't have that kind of power how powerful you think you are Your mess doesn't have that kind of power. To say that your mess is too much is to say that the cross is too little and what God thinks of you is not contingent upon your abilities, it's solidified through Christ's actions. You don't have that kind of power. To say that your mess is too much is to say that the cross is too little and the power of the cross is greater than the messiness of your life and the feelings that you feel. You can't outrun a love that knows no bounds. You can't outrun a love that knows no bounds. I have a favorite movie. I don't think it's even an opinion. I think it's a certifiable fact. Lion King's the greatest movie in human history. You know what I mean? I'll be honest with you. I'm fixing to spoil the movie. I'll also be honest with you. If you haven't seen it yet, you're 30 years late. All right? So if you haven't seen it, a couple things. Y'all do altar calls here for people that haven't seen Lion King? All right. Like, uh, like, uh, like that's a character flaw. That's your biggest mess. You haven't seen Lion King. That's your issue. Like, like if you haven't seen Lion King, I don't know what to tell you. I would say I'm a purist. See the original, the live action stuff. I mean, Steve Irwin could have jumped out. I, I, like, it, it felt like National Geographic. It was too much. Felt like I was watching real lions. Go watch the original thing. Uh, but uh, just as a refresher, does anybody in here remember the stampede situation in the gorge? Y'all remember what I'm talking about? That in this stampede, Simba is stuck in the middle of this gorge and his life is being threatened. And so his father, Mufasa, jumps into the gorge to save his son, Simba, and he does so successfully, but at the expense of his own life. And so after all of the wildebeest clear out of the gorge, what ends up happening? You see Simba go into the gorge and he's looking for his father and he sees Mufasa's lifeless body there in the middle of the gorge. And so Simba starts pressing on his dad's body and he's like, get up, dad, get up. And Mufasa's not getting up. And so now Simba's crying, I'm crying, the hearts of a generation are weeping, like we are just distraught over this moment, right? We haven't recovered. 
Saddest moment, not just in the history of Disney, but in cinema in general. (laughs) And what ends up happening in that moment? Simba's wondering, did I do something wrong? Is this my fault? Like, I don't, I I didn't mean for this to happen. I don't really know what's going on. And we know it was a setup by evil Uncle Scar, but Simba doesn't know that. And so he thinks that this is his problem. And what happens to Simba in the messiest, darkest moment of his life is what happens to you and I in the darkest moment of our life. An enemy swoops into the gorge and gets right on your level and goes, Simba, this is bad. What are your friends going to think? What's your mom going to think? And Simba goes, I I didn't mean for this to happen. I don't really know what to do from here on out. And what does Scar say to Simba? He says, run away, Simba. Run away and never return. And so he does. And it looks amazing at first. I mean, he's on the brink of death there for a second, but he ends up being scooped up by his boys, Timon and Pumbaa, Hakuna Matata, that whole situation, right? It means no worries except for he's full of them because he knows deep down, I'm running away from my calling. I'm running away from my purpose. I'm running away from the things that my father spoke over my life that I was supposed to inherit and was destined to follow through on. And it's not until that old wise sage, we don't say old at my church, we say chronologically superior for the record. (laughs) But it's not until that chronologically superior sage Rafiki comes in and smacks a little sense into Simba. How many of you know sometimes you just need a little sense smacked into you just here and there? Rafiki says to Simba, hey, your father's alive. Simba says, now, that, was, that was a particularly traumatic incident for me. He's really not alive. I, I can assure you, I pressed on that body a couple times, generations weeping with me. That didn't happen. Like, Rafiki says, no, he is. I'll show him to you. And Rafiki brings Simba to a pool of water, and he says, look down there. Simba looks into the pool of water. He just sees himself. He goes, that's not me. That's just my reflection. What's Rafiki say? He says, no, look harder. Right? <laughs> I'll be here all day. I'll be here all day. What Simba see? Bubbling up within his own reflection is his father's reflection. And what Rafiki says to Simba is what I'm trying to say to you. You see, he lives in you. I'm here to tell somebody right now, I don't know what kind of messiness has gone down in your life before, but I'm here to tell you this. Your father who lives on the inside of you is greater than anything that's happened behind you, that you can see that the Holy Spirit working within you is greater than any messiness that's around you. You got a father who lives on the inside of you. Somebody just got to smack a little sense in you. They sent me from Orlando. Is that Pastor Rafiki up there? Great work, Luke. Reminds me of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, you see that Jesus mentions this parable of a couple of different sons, and they got a wealthy father, and the son comes up to the father and says, you know, I, I, dad, you're not dying fast enough. I value your money more than you. Can I have my inheritance right now? Some of y'all are like, I live with that kid. So 
I'm going to get up, I'm going to get to heaven and be like, Lord, you mean teenagers? Like, I mean, that's what we're talking about. But then he goes and he squanders the inheritance in a foreign land, which was a huge cultural no-no at this point. And it's interesting. I love picking up in Luke chapter 15, verse 17. It says this, that the son has to come to his senses and look at what ends up happening when he realizes he's in the messiest moment of his life. It says, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me like one of your hired workers. You notice how the son finds himself in a mess and he does what a lot of us do with God when we find ourselves in a mess? How am I gonna like talk my way? I'm going to draft up a speech. I'm going to get in my prayer closet, and rather than just lamenting and falling on my face before the Lord, but well, you know, this is the deal. Like, you can just find yourself in that moment. And look how it continues on in verse 20. It says, he got up and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, some of y'all feel like you're a long way off today, and I'm telling you right now, you're not far enough off. You're not far enough off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and the son said to him, he starts rehearsing his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father isn't having it. He said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, put a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Dr. Ken Bailey wrote a fascinating book called The Cross and the Prodigal. And in it, he brought to light a lot of cultural things that were a little bit taboo happening here. He he said it was abnormal for men to ever run in that kind of a cultural situation because you would have to hike up your clothing and you would have your legs exposed, which would have brought shame on you and your family. There's very few reasons why you would ever bring shame on yourself or your family. But the father is trying to get to his son before a ceremony is performed called kazaza. If you don't know what that ceremony is, kazaza literally means in Hebrew the cutting off. And so what would happen is that as the son is making his way back towards the city gates, the elders would meet him outside the city gates and say, you squandered your father's inheritance in a foreign land. You are no longer worthy to find yourself as a part of this community, as a part of your family, as a part of even your faith, that you're going to be cut off. And what would happen is when the son would get to the gates, if his father didn't get there first, the elders would grab a pot and shatter it at his feet and shout at him, you are now cut off from your community and the father's filled with compassion and he knows that this is going to happen and he runs outside the city gates to get to his son first and he says I'm taking it on every sin mess and guilty part of him is on me what's the scripture say Jesus Christ was crucified outside the city gates. Some of y'all don't need to worry about how you're going to get in the door because your father's going to meet you outside of it. I'm telling you, 
that God met you outside the city gates in his son, Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how far off you feel like you are, as long as you start making your way back and say, I know that I've messed up. I know that I need a savior. The savior's blood is running fresh down a cross that he willingly put himself on. And he said, I've got you covered. Your sins, past, present, and future, you're gonna step into eternity with me because of the work that Jesus has done, not the work that you hope that you can do to get yourself in. Very often we feel like, we hear this saying, right? You know, God meets us in our mess. And if you're like me, you're like, is that supposed to be comforting? (laughs) Holy, pristine, perfect God is gonna meet me who had like eight bad thoughts on the way here. Like, are you, like, what does that collision look like? It's interesting. Jesus lived anything but our idea of the perfect life. He lived a perfect, sinless life, but he wasn't afforded the comforts that you would expect kings to enjoy. I mean, Jesus didn't find himself ruling from a palace. He was homeless. Like he didn't have servants that were fanning his face with palm branches, feeding him grapes. They were laying palm branches at his feet before he rode into Jerusalem to be crucified. Like we didn't see that Jesus was wearing some crown of jewels, but he was wearing a crown of thorns. He wasn't ruling on some ornate throne, but he was nailed to an old rugged cross. The difference between Jesus and every leader in the history of humanity is Jesus said, I'm not gonna ask my servants to spill their blood to protect my kingdom. I'm gonna spill my own blood to bring you into mine. Listen to me, your mess matters to God. It's been written by the author of life. It is sealed by the Holy Spirit. And I'm here to tell somebody that stepped into church by the glades today and felt like there's no way that God would meet you outside the city gates because your mess is too much. And I'm here to tell you this, that God has never been afraid of a mess and he isn't starting with you. In start with you. I saw a lot of hands. I want to pray for you, but I want this to be vulnerable for you. I want God to do some serious work in the next two minutes. If you'd bow your heads with me and close your eyes, I want to ask the room right now, do we have anybody in here that would say, this message is for me. I feel like my stuff is too messy. Would you put your hand up so I can see who that is? Where you feel like there's no way that God's got something for you on the other side of where you find yourself right now. I want you to pray with me and I want you to hear this. For those of you that have your hands up and for those of you that don't, God in heaven, you made a way. Lord, we acknowledge that you have done what only you can do, that outside of you, we didn't have a chance, we didn't have a prayer, but you in your sovereignty and power and strength did what nobody else could do and you brought us into your kingdom and you said to trust in your work and not in ours. And so Lord, we submit ourselves before you right now and we say, Jesus, would you cleanse our minds of anything that makes us feel like we can't make our way back to you right now or that we can't make our way to you for the very first time. Maybe there's some of you that have never put your faith in Jesus here this morning and you're like, I need to find myself 
in his arms right here, right now, that the Father is running out to meet you. And if that's you, I want you to pray with me and just say, Father, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I could not and that you died the death that I deserved. I believe that you were finding yourself upon the cross willingly and that your blood covers my sins past, present, and future. I believe that you were buried in a tomb for three days, but you rose to life again. And because I believe in the finished work that you accomplished, I can have life in your name. Father, bless us with the peace of mind of knowing that you've done the work. And our work is to trust in that. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D. Hughes.